Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led His people into the Promised Land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, He remained faithful to the promise He made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Joshua chapter 5 as we make our way through the book of Joshua. Exciting book. Lots to say about you and me the kingdom of God. Now, Father, as we make our way to this portion of Scripture, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding, touch our hearts, Lord, encourage us through these truths. Jesus, our Lord, taught us this, that we should know the truth, and that truth would make us free. So thank you, Father God, for the freedom that comes through knowing you and obeying your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am looking forward to doing Brandon and Krista's wedding next month. If you don't recall who Brandon is, he's the giant young man that I called up to the platform a few Sunday mornings back. Uh, He has just returned from boot camp, and that's really why I called him up to the front After 10 weeks of basic training, you know, I started to wonder what basic training really entailed. So I did a little looking into it. It's kind of what you expect or what you've heard. Basic training that takes place at boot camp focuses on marksmanship with individually assigned weapons, field maintenance of weapons, hand-to-hand combat, physical fitness training, first aid, and basic survival techniques. Well, that makes sense, seeing that recruits who are there and enlisted may one day be on the front lines fighting a war to defend and protect the United States and her interests abroad. They need to be trained in warfare. God's kingdom, how he trains his people to fight wars and battles is a little bit different as we've been seeing here in Joshua, especially in in chapters 3, 4, and 5. We are in chapter 5 now with the Israelite recruits, the soldiers, are facing really their greatest military challenge since they came out of Egypt some 40 years earlier. They are currently, for context, parked outside of a fortified city called Jericho. Uh, They have now entered Israel proper. They're in the promised land, but it's occupied, and they must subjugate, or that is to conquer, the um, pagan, rebellious Canaanites who have for centuries defied God, resisted his will, and become enemies of his, and in doing so, became enemies of his people. Now the only thing standing in the way of the Israelites to occupy the land that God has given them, their promised land, are these people. 
So it's preparation time. Now, the Lord has Israel here in Joshua 5, 3, 4, and 5, that is, in a spiritual boot camp. Oddly enough, it has nothing to do with fighting. Um, You would think it would because they're going into battle. But God's boot camp is more like a spiritual retreat at Mount Hermon for a few days. And it doesn't make any sense to us, but it's more or less along the lines that Paul the Apostle talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, Paul writes, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. This is really what's going on. The lesson here for us really is God speaking to Israel and to you and me, saying, my people, let me show you how the walls will come tumbling down. God is teaching Israel and us how to be victorious in him when facing locked doors, high walls, and the enemy's attack. He's teaching us how to possess what's rightfully ours in Christ. So let's pick up where we left off, actually at verse 13, and we're just going to finish the chapter. Three little verses with a powerful and significant insight. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. All right, we're going to park here because there's a wealth of insights uh, here in just three little verses. Uh, It's done. Spiritual boot camp is over. Everything from chapters 3, 4, and 5, all the ways that God has been spiritually preparing his people to go forth and conquer, is over with these three verses. It's the last phase of spiritual boot camp before the battle begins. When we turn the page, in my Bible, we turn the page, but uh, when we start chapter 6, you will see that there's nothing left except a parade of sorts, trumpet blasts, and a shout. And you know, the old American, uh, African-American spiritual Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? Well, it's kind of a misnomer because there really is no battle at Jericho because they do it God's way. The walls come tumbling down at the sound of a shout. There's no need um, for anything further than that. So let's review because uh, we've got some walls, we've got some struggles, we've got some battles, 
We've got some obstacles and hindrances that are keeping us from what is rightfully ours in Christ. And so we need to pay attention because these principles uh, are important. Because God is saying, Israel, this is the way to conquer. So we pay attention. So chapters 3 and 4, just in a few seconds, summed up is trust God. Why don't you repeat after me? Just these little bullets. All right? Trust God. Trust God. Stay, close. Stay close. Let him lead. Let him lead. Keep, clean. Keep clean. And never forget. The never forget part was, of course, the courage for future, uh, for the future in any of our lives is based on God's past faithfulness. You remember they had to take the stones out from the center and the middle of the Jordan River so that they wouldn't forget. And so really they could remember, look, these walls are nothing. These soldiers are nothing. And, and what's behind these walls are nothing because look at what he just did. And so he says, never forget. Now, that's done. Context, chapter 5. Uh, things that are important to remember. Number 1, in verse 1, the statement regarding the morale of the inhabitants of the city. They sensed their doom. Their courage was melted. It, it, it is uh, that we realize that in Christ all the enemies we face are defeated foes. In verses 2 through 9 of this chapter, leading up to this um, paragraph that we're going to consider, uh, they renew the covenant sign of circumcision, which we talked all about last week. Thank goodness we're not talking about it this week. But that ag- they acknowledge that they exist and live because of God. He is the author of their lives, and they agree to serve him and carry out his will. We talked about the spiritual application that we cut away the power of the Holy Spirit inside our hearts, the sin that keeps us from fellowship with him and from going further and to possess the things that God has for us. You will never, ever possess what God has for you when you're clinging to worthless idols or living a sin life. It just won't happen. And then finally, in verse 10, they keep the Passover. So this is saying that all victories are owed to the death of another on their behalf. You see, so in the same way, we go into battle, we realize that we overcome the evil one by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. It's Revelation uh, says now so here we are the last key event of spiritual boot camp is the strange little encounter with this man who's somewhat more than a man with a drawn sword three little verses with a big impact here and so let's take a look at it verse 13 begins joshua nears the city of jericho it's when he looks up he sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Well, we will find that he is no ordinary man. He's much more, as we'll see. So, number one, if you're taking notes, proper perspective. We need proper perspective. Now, with everything now prepared for conquest, Joshua checks out Jericho. Uh, he's surveying the situation at hand. It's kind of smart to do. He knows as the commander of Israel's 
armies, that he has to have a plan. He leaves the camp where they are all at, at Gilgal, and um, on a, perhaps a fact-finding mission. You know, it's pretty smart to do your due diligence. And so he's out there by himself. He's looking for a plan of action. How are we going to launch this attack? Uh, what are we up against here? And it's not good news. It is perhaps the best fortified city of Canaan. Israel has no experience with towering rock walls, and they are no match against what waits behind those walls. So Joshua is looking down. He's looking down. How do we know he's looking down? Because it says he looked up. So we know that before he looked up, he was looking down. And so he's looking down, my friend, for a very good reason. What has he seen? Well, he understands that uh, he lacks experience and they lack equipment. There's no battering rams, no catapults, no scaling ladders or moving towers. You know what they have? It's not enough what they have. They have swords and arrows and slingshots and spears. How's that going to work? He's discouraged. The weight of the world is upon him because he's the commander of the Lord's army. It's all up to him. Everything depends on him. Or does it? Maybe that is the number one lesson of this encounter is that it doesn't matter if you're lacking. If you have the Lord in your life, he will fight your battles. And so uh, he looks up. He looks up. Now, as disheartening as it is, is to accept our limited reality, it's often quite necessary before God can act. So the Holy Spirit has wooed Joshua out of Camp Gilgal and said, let's take a walk, buddy. Let's take a look at what you're up against. And he wants him to look down first because you look down first and then you realize your human, um, your human weakness and that you need God. And so, you know, like Abraham, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations without weakening in his faith. And here's what faith does. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Now, I want to tell you that faith doesn't ignore the physical reality. It just looks past it. And so he's looking out at the walls. He sees what he's up against, and, you know, it brings him some depression, when we come to the end of ourselves, we get panicked, we get depressed, we get sad, we get worried. But that's the whole point. The whole point is to look at that and say, you know what, I can't in my own power, but God can. So the Lord's got him right where he wants him. He's saying, Josh, take a look. All the king's horses and all the king's men can't fix this problem. You can't be strong enough. You can't fight this battle, can you? Now look up. Now look up at me. 
Now, it reminds me of Ezekiel's vision in chapter 37. Uh, He's there in Iraq, modern-day Iraq. It's Babylon. The Jews, because of their rebellion, have been exiled by the Babylonians, have come into Israel and taken them all away and destroyed the wall, the city wall in Jerusalem, and the temple. There's nothing left, and they took the Jews away 500 miles to Iraq. And Ezekiel gets a vision. And God says to him in chapter 37 there, he says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley that were very, very dry. He asked me, man, can these bones live? But what strikes me about that passage is is that he says, he took me up and down, back and forth, to look at these bones that had nothing on them, just, just skeletal remains. And he says, I want you, Zeke, to take a good look at these bones. Are they dry? Well, let's go around them again and check them out. Is there any way possible for these bones to live? And Ezekiel says in faith, well, you would know... You see, that's a great answer. When God asks you a question, you just turn it back on him and say, you know, (laughs) it works because he does. (laughs) And so we all know what happens there is that really the first step to a miracle is that, you know, this thing is dead. This thing is dead. There's no help on the horizon Nobody's got the answer. There's no magic trump card. It's over. Dead. Done. Now you're ready for God to come in and say, thank you for acknowledging that. My turn. Look up. So he looks up. He's convinced. Mission impossible. And then everything changes. Upward, he sees him standing there. So here's your text. Paraphrase, suddenly Joshua sees this man standing opposite him, or at least what appears to be a man, drawn sword in hand. Joshua's first thought, a natural one, you on our side or theirs? And he says, neither. I, I am the commander of the Lord's army, and that's why I'm here. Well, Point number two, for you note-takers, the mystery man, all right? To Joshua, the man has got a drawn sword, and this means either he's going to use that sword to defend Jericho or to help Israel. Which is it? So he asks the mystery man. Well, who is this lone warrior with the sword? He calls himself the commander of the army of the Lord. The word in the King James is host. The Lord of hosts, the word in the Hebrew for hosts is army. And so he is called the Lord of hosts. Or there's a title of the Lord in Hebrew called Lord Sabaoth. And it means Lord of hosts. The NIV translates Lord of hosts as God Almighty. It means the Lord of the armies, the powerful one who heads up the forces of heaven. And so this is who it is. The man with the sword is the sovereign Lord. This is called a Christophany. 
I've talked to you about that before. It's when Jesus makes an appearance in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ did not start his life in Bethlehem. He is the Ancient of Days. He was with God in the beginning, as John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, co-eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, everlasting from everlasting, Jesus is God, who was and is and is to come, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said, the same I am from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. And so then, this man, Jesus Christ, before he was a baby, because Jesus Christ has always existed. He's the Logos, or that is the Greek word for the word that reveals God. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, somebody's walking around in the garden. That would be your Lord Jesus is walking along in the garden. And so there are several of those Christophanies in the Old Testament. Uh, This man cannot be uh, just simply a man because he is worshipped. And men of God, at least, uh, do not receive worship that belongs only to God. You remember in Acts 14 when Paul did a miracle and the men and women of that city came out and they wanted to sacrifice unto them saying you are Hermes and Zeus is your partner and they tore their clothes and they said we are mere men worship belongs to God he is worshiped by Joshua therefore he cannot just be a man nor can he be an angel In Revelation chapter 19, John falls before the vision there of the angel, and the angel says, see to it that you do not do this thing. Get up. Worship God. He says, I am a fellow servant of the the God you serve. Get up. You see, the person who receives worship, by the way, an excellent argument for Jehovah's Witnesses or for anybody else who denies the deity of our Lord and Savior. You go to to who's on the throne? The Lamb of God. Who's that? Jesus. What are they doing around the throne? They are worshiping him. I thought Deuteronomy tells us, as Jesus quoted, it is the Lord God and him only shall we serve. Therefore, him only shall you worship. When Satan says to him, bow down and worship me, he says, I can't do that. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says that we can only worship God alone. Therefore, my friend, if we're all face down before the throne of God, worshiping Jesus, and it is written that we can only worship God alone, then you can only do the math there. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so... There we have him also, verse 15, quoting the burning bush, the same voice, take off your sandals for the ground you're standing on is holy. Uh, That gives us the biggest clue of all. Why does this 
being, let's call him the Lord, since he is, why does the Lord have a drawn sword to Joshua? Why is it drawn to him? Well, there are two sides to God, no matter who you are. Lion and lamb. And apparently he was in lion mode. <laughs> All right. Um, and Romans eleven twenty two. I love this. Behold, then the kindness and severity of God. There are two sides of him. He is the lamb of God that intimidates no one when he says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'm humble. I'm meek. I am lowly. I'm like a lamb. Man, can you be afraid of a lamb? Come on in here. And then you mess with him, and you got a drawn sword, and he's ready to lop off a head, man. I mean, because he's God. The Bible calls him a warrior. Jehovah, Yahweh. He is a man of war. There's two sides of him. Lord Sabaoth is his name. He is the Lord of hosts. And so he's, he's got the sword up. He's saying, I'm ready to take care of business, Joshua. I'm ready to help you, Joshua, bow before me. The sword is going to definitely be a motivator. You know, to help him get to the place he needs to be, you know, there's nothing like a drawn sword to kind of help you find your place, you know, um, before the Lord. Um, and he's ready to lead Israel to victory because he's Lord Samoth. So it's good news for Josh. He's not only the commander over Israel's armies, but he's saying, I'm the commander over heaven's armies. So what's going on here, folks, is he's saying uh, he's pulling rank on Joshua. He's going, Josh, thank you. Thank you for doing your due diligence. But now I'm here and I'm the commander. You're the general. You're number two. You can't do the job. This isn't your job. This isn't your purpose. This isn't your calling. This is my job. You see, you're number two. Dad, thank you. But you're number two. You've got your problems. Husband, you've got your problems. You've got your calling. And you think everything rests on you. He's saying, thank you for doing your part. You're number two. I'm in charge. You follow me. This doesn't depend on you, Dad. It doesn't depend (laughs) on you, Mom. This is my problem. Submit to me. You follow me. Pastor, this isn't your church. You don't have to build it up. You don't have to keep it up. You don't have to grow it. You need to bow before me, worship me, and let me do my thing. You follow me. You're number two. The battle is not yours, but God's. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Well, imagine the relief for Joshua. Wow, finally, man, well, of course, yeah. Oh, now I could just follow you. What a relief for you with that thing staring you in the face and you're like, I'm helpless. There's no way out of the debt. There's no way to, even if I did have a job right now, there's no way to change another human heart either. For all of your relationships that have gone south, for kids who don't walk with the Lord, for mom and dad who doesn't walk in the Lord, you think you're going to change something? 
Or you're going to fast and pray? I mean, fast and pray and hope and do your due diligence. But it's the commander of the Lord of hosts who has come that you need to submit to and let him forge the path. Let him do the work. You're behind him. And he works in different kinds of ways. And he's got the resources to do it. He says, I am the Lord of hosts, man. I've got the resources. And it's so nice. Joshua's thinking, man, we're outnumbered in the wall and all of that. And he says, I am the Lord of hosts, Joshua. Now, you remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, where the king of Syria is fighting against the king of Israel. And every time the king of Syria plans something, a trap for the king of Israel, the king of Israel finds out. Why? Because Elisha gets a word from the Lord, goes to the king, and says, Hey, heads up, king. King of Syria is coming after you. He's, plan- he's made a trap. Watch out. And he gets out every single time. Now, the king of Syria is baffled. You remember the story. Um, he says, What's up with that? We've got a spy among us because somebody has taken our game strategy and letting my enemy, the king of Israel, know about it. He's always getting out. So he, they're ferreting out everybody, and, and somebody goes to the king and says, Dude, listen, it's this bald-headed prophet, Elisha. We know he's bald-headed, it says. <laughs> he's bald-headed. <laughs> he's one of my heroes, all right? It had something to do with his bald head. Now, <clears throat> he says, this dude is giving him the, the secrets, man. So he says, send an army and kill him. All right. So they do. And now they find Elisha, or they go to do that. They find Elisha with Dothan. You remember? And uh, Dothan is his young assistant. They surround at night. They find where Elisha is. And they surround the place. And the next morning, the servant boy gets up. Dothan gets up. He wakes up. He goes outside to draw some water from the well. And man, oh man, he sees the horses and the chariots. And he comes in and he goes, oh my word. Elisha, man, it's over. Greatly stressed. He says, we're finished. What can we do, Elisha? And Elisha, with faith, He sees Lord Sabaoth, and he says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Dothan looks around. He goes, One, two. Now let's count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 20, and he goes on and on and on. And then Elijah goes, stop. Lord, open this poor boy's eyes and let him see Lord Sabbath. And he sees. And it says there in verse 17, then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and the Lord and he looked and he saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Well, they won that battle that day, of course. Lord Sabaoth has then had a human body, didn't he? When he became a baby in Bethlehem, stepping through the womb of a virgin, 
a human mama, and God the Father as his father. Peter takes a sword and says, I'm going to save this day right now. I'm going to save Jesus' life. And he cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant ear, falls to the ground. And Jesus says, silly Peter, put that sword away. Don't you realize I'm, I am Lord Sabbath? I can appeal right now and at my word. Twelve legion, translated, 74,000 of supernatural, heavenly charged beings from another world will be here to teach Pontius Pilate and his punks a lesson. Now, don't you understand who I am? Put your little dagger away and trust me. I've got it under control, silly Peter, with all your efforts. You're just wreaking havoc. You think you're trying to solve it with your little dagger. Please put it away. Trust me. I'm the Lord of hosts. One stab of the finger, boom, 74,000 angels right here to do my will. You can trust me with your little problem. Stop trying to solve it in your own strength. Listen to this, folks. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 34, 7. So, number three. What's with the Lord's answer? It's very strange. It's not one we're expecting, especially when he is for Joshua and he has come to be fighting for Israel. The question goes, you for us or are you for them? Are you for our enemies or are you on our side? And he says, neither. Now, so number three would be the wrong question. All right. We're really good at asking the wrong questions. And here's one of them. All right. So number one, it's really fascinating to me, uh, especially when, when, uh, when he is for him. But he says, neither. He's, he's really saying, number one, Josh, you've got a simplistic view of God. God's not a side taker, all right? Um, he doesn't want the Packers to win over this other team. He's not just, he's just, he's a lot bigger than this. You, you've got him in a, a little box here. Are you for us or them? And he's like, uh, it doesn't work that way, kid. All right, listen to me. I'm not a side taker. Uh, am I on Israel's side or 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 Canaan's side. Well, there's Rahab. I, there's Rahab in there. And how about her family, Joshua? So you're asking me to choose sides. Like, like that's how I do things. I don't do things like that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. That means if you're in a Catholic church or you're in a bar or you're, you, you go to a, a, a disco, or wherever you end up. If you're a Presbyterian, <gasps> there was a gasp on the second row. You're a Lutheran, you're a Methodist. Whosoever, he says, I'm not for 
oh, I'm for Calvary Chapel, but I'm against this. No. Would you expand your idea of who I am, Joshua? Please, don't ask me questions like that. Are you for us or them? I'm for anybody who turns their heart toward me. And there's plenty behind that wall. It's not so easy, am I, for you or them? So, number one. I mean, like Nineveh. Are you for us or the Ninevites? Neither. (laughs) I'm for anybody who repents. Did the Ninevites repent? I'm for them. Peter's revelation in Acts chapter 10, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what's right. That's kind of the spirit there. Number two, he says, you have a self-centered perspective going on here with that question. The real question wasn't if the Lord was on Joshua's side. The proper question was, is Joshua on the Lord's side? Now think about that. He's saying, I am not your genie. I am not your errand boy. Please do not use me to accomplish what you think your agenda is, Joshua. This is my agenda, and you need to get on board with what I'm doing. I do not need to get on board with what you think you're doing. A subtle little difference that makes all the difference in the world. So he's saying, he's asking, Josh is asking, are you on Israel's side? And God says, well, better question is, is Israel on my side? Because it's my earth, they're my mountains, they're my rivers, they're my people inside and out. I created everything. It's my goal, it's my purpose, it's my strategy, it's my cause. You belong to me. I'm at work. Don't ask me if, if I'm on your side doing your work. I'm asking you, are you on my side doing my work? Oh, all the difference in the world for you to accomplish stuff. You know, I've used the illustration before of a, some surfer who's out where the waves aren't rolling and he's out there and he's paddling and he's just trying to get the waves to come to him. And just about two miles down the way, you see all of these killer waves breaking. Move the board over to where the waves are breaking. Find what God is doing. Find his will and bow the knee and do his will. It's a lot easier than trying to to, to get him, well, why won't you send a wave, God? And he goes, could you look over there? That's where I'm moving. Why don't you get on my board and surf with me? I'm not your co-pilot, Joshua. I'm the pilot. I'm the airplane. I'm the passenger. I'm everything. I'm the fuel. You know, just get on board, Joshua. Get on board. That's what I hear him saying. Now, somebody asked me in a rather aggressive way, which is very trendy these days. Pastor, not in this church, by the way. Pastor, what is your vision for Santa Rosa? 
I love this question. I say, I don't have a vision for Santa Rosa. Why would I? Why would I have a vision for anything? It's his vision. What does he want to do with Santa Rosa? I have one vision. I have a vision to, to, to carry out with faithfulness the, the, the task he set before me. To run with perseverance the race set before me. To be everything God has asked me to be. What my, my plan for Santa Rosa, as many people can get saved in the quickest amount of time possible. But I don't have any plans for Santa Rosa. What's your vision, man? And you're supposed to have a big vision so that you can be a great man of God. My vision is this, to keep up and to accommodate the growth that he's bringing. I am not trying, sorry, I'm in a tirade. I admit it. <laughs> I am not trying to grow a church. That's ridiculous. Who would give me any right to grow a church? It's not my church. It's his will. How do I know how big the church is supposed to be? That's up to him. I just keep bowing, finding my place, and accommodating what he's doing, being faithful to what I've been given to do. And if he wants to make it a big church, that's his business. I needed an amen there so bad. Yeah. Hallelujah. Oh, gosh, I had to drag it out of you. <laughs> All right, so watch out for that dumb question. All right, God, he's the visionary. My vision, my gaze is upon him. And to be faithful with what he's called me to do. Can I just quote one writer who said it a lot better than I just did? Thank you. Uh, Now the amens. You quiet the whole sermon. Now when I don't need it, thank you. One writer said this. "It, It was not for Joshua to claim God's allegiance for his cause no matter how right and holy it might be. Rather, the need was for Joshua to acknowledge God's claim over Joshua for God's purposes. We tend to approach our battles and causes backwards. We turn things all around and try to marshal God to support us rather than to submit and to follow him. Certainly, the battle was a joint venture, God and the people of Israel under Joshua's leadership as appointed by the Lord is real and right. But Joshua, as with all of us in the army of the king, must be following the Lord, submitting to his authority, taking our orders from him, and resting the battle in his hands because we realize it is really his battle as the supreme commander. I love that. And then one last little thought. The right response, number four, is the right response. He bows in submission. He worships the Lord. He asks for instructions. He takes his rightful place, and he does what he's told. He says, Lord, well, where do we go from here? And wow, what an answer. Take off your sins. Where do we go from here? We're ready to go. Let's onward, Christian soldier. Lord, come on. Battle time, right? 
Where do we go from here? What's your message to your sermon? I get it. You're the Lord. What do you, what do you have to say? Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. I've done a great deal of thinking about that. Taking off your sandals, because this is holy ground. Well, holiness, moral purity, separateness from sin in the world. And he says, the ground, because I'm here, is holy. This, this area with me, this relationship that you're standing in front of me, take off your shoes. Take off the dirt of the world. Take that away. Step out and let there be nothing between us. Just you, your feet. Now, my thought is, are Moses' feet any cleaner than his shoes? Now, probably not. But God will take care of that. He says, you, you cooperate with me, and I just see it as a, as a repentance. It's coming into God's presence, realizing, wow, I've got to do away with the filth of the world that clings. You know, in the Middle East to this day, the shoes are the lowest of low. The shoe, the bottom of the shoe, is the lowest of low. You can't lift that if anyone sees the bottom of your shoe. It's anathema. It's a curse. Now, that's where it comes from. God is playing right into that. He says, take that dirt away and let nothing be in between me and you. That just naked foot right there, holiness. And uh, that's what he wants from us. Now, Joshua knows who's in charge. He knows whose cause it is. He knows his right place, humble, submitted, and holy, and the battle's over. Now, they can march to victory. The battle is won. Done. They've won. No fighting. Just following. One big shout, a couple trumpet blasts, actually seven times around, and down it goes. The battle's over because Joshua is conquered. He's a true Israelite. Do you know why? The word Israel means conquered by God. Do you remember when Jacob got the name change? He's wrestling with a Christophany. He's wrestling with Jesus. And after that whole wrestling match, he says, bingo, name change. From crooked conniver, deceiver, to conquered of God, Israel. Now, Canaan is conquered because Joshua is conquered and he's a true Israelite. Are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that by your spirit and your spirit alone, we can all be conquered. Help us to open our hearts and yield our wills that in every way, in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and in all of our strength, we would be conquered by this love of God, which passes knowledge. We give ourselves to you now. Bless us, Lord. 
help us. What a wonderful, empowering passage. Let it linger in our spirits and sear it into our consciences and knit it into the fabric of who we are. So from this day forward, we would live with this, this simple truth so that we can go forth and be victorious. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 